Good morning, church, and you have your Bibles now and uh, get to Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, you finally get to the end of this great letter, and hope you feel a little bit accomplished, and you made it all the way through, and you endured to the end, and uh, they say, he who endures the end shall be saved, but maybe at least you get saved from any more sermons from me from the book of Ephesians, if nothing else, right? So glad you're here this morning, and uh, we're looking at verses 18 through 24, the prayerful soldier of the cross. Um, We talked about last time uh, the, you know, the weapons of our warfare, the spiritual warfare and the weapons, and we uh, tried to heed the caution to not over-spiritualize those things, but instead to make sure that we understand that they are characteristics that must be built into our lives. And we come to the passage of Scripture uh, this morning, and we have to realize from this that all that we studied about the weapons of warfare in the spiritual realm, we have to realize that they are completely ineffective without prayer. So let's take, for example, the belt of truth. Try as we might... We will always fail to be completely sincere and completely truthful. So therefore, we need to always pray something like this related to the belt of truth. Lord, please work sincerity in my heart. I will pursue it wholeheartedly through the means of Bible intake and gathering with the saints and meditation upon your word and serving and the Lord's Supper But apart from your energy and power at work, it will be fruitless. Your energy, Lord, is what makes it all effective. So do you understand in the battle that we are in to be people who are truthful and sincere and righteous in the way that we live and to be bold in proclaiming the gospel and all of the things that we took a, 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 tried to view as far as spiritual warfare is concerned, do you understand that that is not mechanical? It's not what you can accomplish by your power and habits and, and strength. It only is going to be effective if the Lord empowers that which you desire in your life. So this is why prayer is essential. Prayer is the element which expresses and fosters dependency upon God. Apart from that dependency, all of our efforts will be in vain. Satan will then trip us up in sin. He will neutralize our service for the Lord. And so what we have in this section of Scripture now is a, it's a prayer lesson from the Apostle Paul. And showing us that Not only we have a need for prayer, but think about this. The greatest of us, the the best Christian that the world has ever seen, cries out for prayer. Absolutely dependent upon the Lord as well. That should be an encouragement to you, brothers and sisters. If Paul needed prayer, then hey, so do we. So look at this, the, the prayer of the soldier of the cross. Look, look at this prayer and he, he explains to us and describes to us what it means to, to pray as we ought. 
So he, uh, first of all, the, the scripture here talks about strategic prayer. And so look in verses 18, 19, and 20. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So there's strategic praying here. First of all, this prayer is a pervasive prayer. Notice in verse 18, the word all four times. The four alls of verse 18. This kind of praying is to pervade every part of our life. The time of prayer at all times. The type of prayer with all prayer, that all kinds of prayers. The tenacity of our prayer with all perseverance. And then the target of our prayer, all the saints. So this is the kind of prayer that we're called to. Now a word about intercession, that's a fancy word that the prayer people like to use. Intercession just means praying for the people of God. But here's, here's a word about it. Jesus himself practiced this on earth. Notice what Jesus says about Simon Peter just before Peter's uh, denial of him and before uh, our Savior's crucifixion. Listen to what Jesus said to him. Simon, Simon, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. Did you hear that? But I have prayed for you. Did it prevent Peter's sin? No. He said, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Do you hear the prayer of our Savior? He prays for you the same way. When you have turned again, that you will strengthen your brothers and sisters in the Lord. What does Jesus do now? Even now, at the throne of heaven, the Bible says he always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews 7.25 Therefore, here's the point. When we pray for the saints of God, when we pray not to the saints of God, we're never given those instructions in the scripture. But we are instructed to pray for the saints of God, which would be those here still on earth. We are mirroring the Son of God. We are entering into a partnership with Him. And so therefore our praying is strategic in that way. At all times, with all prayer, with all perseverance, for all the saints. Pray. It's also persistent praying. And we saw that already, but just to highlight it a little bit. It says praying alert with all perseverance. Perseverance is a word just means to give constant attention to something. Just give constant attention to pray. The Christian must give constant attention to this issue. This can't be something you just add on at the end of the day. Or something that you mumble out at the beginning of the day. Now listen, here's, here's our problem in prayer, okay? Are, so are, are you ready? Listen, you, you have to get a diagnosis before you can get a cure. So are you ready for, for the problem that we have in prayer? Here's our problem. If our only concern in life is our comfort, 
then the only time we're going to give ourselves to prayer is when we are uncomfortable. Did you hear that? If our only concern in life is our own comfort, then the only time that we're going to give ourselves to prayer is when we are uncomfortable. Conversely, on the other hand, if you are aware of the lostness of the world, the sin in our community, the wickedness in our nation, the disloyalty that lies in your own heart, the spiritual dangers surrounding the people of God, if you really understand that, then you're going to stay on the alert and you're going to pray persistently with perseverance. The difference is this. What is your commitment? What are you committed to? If your commitment really is to your own comfort and to the comfort of your family, then the only time that you're going to be stirred to prayer is when something messes with your discomfort. That's not what the scripture says that we are to do as Christians. We are to be praying, that is an ongoing lifestyle, with all perseverance. That means giving constant attention to this issue of prayer. The person who knows what is truly at stake will give constant attention to this thing called prayer. Until you understand what's at stake here, you will not pray. If you think you are righteous and you think you're able to withstand all of the evil of the world and to establish your own righteousness, you will not pray. But if you understand the unrighteousness that lurks in your own heart and how easy it is for Satan to draw you away into unrighteous actions, then you will pray with all perseverance. If you don't understand that Satan desires to sift this church like wheat, if you don't understand that, then you will not pray for it. But when you figure it out and you realize that we're always walking on the ragged edge, then you pray and you pray with all perseverance. This praying, this strategic praying, it's not only pervasive and persistent, but it's also purposeful. And I'm already alluding to that. But Paul uh, brings it out more clearly. He says in verse 20, I'm an ambassador in chains. And then here's his purpose. That, you see, that's the purpose word. That, see, you've been asking for prayer. He said, I want you to pray for me that I can boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. See, that I can do that. And that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And twice there in those two verses, he prays and asks them to pray for him for boldness. Remember, Paul is in prison here. This is not nice prison. The prison we have here in Chillicothe, that's nice prison. Have your own bed. Somebody serves you food. Get to close the door and turn out the lights at night. Now, I don't want to be in there. There Lots of awful things. But when you think prison, don't think that. Where Paul's located is a hole in the ground. And so, this is an awful situation. He's being held wrongfully. I've noticed all those people that Our corrections officers deal with out there, they're all held out there wrongly. I've learned that. 
All the innocent people are in there and all the guilty ones are out here. One of them said that to me one time and I said, well, at least you're protected from us. Paul's in prison. His circumstances are not comfortable. His circumstances are unpleasant. I'm sure that he probably prayed sometimes for physical relief. I'm sure that at times he would ask God to release him from prison. There is nothing in this world wrong with those kinds of prayers. When you're hurting, you're not feeling well, things are not going well, there certainly is nothing wrong with praying those kinds of prayers. However, Paul says something here or shows us something by their absence. And that is that those prayers are secondary in importance. It's not that they're of no importance, but they are secondary in importance. And as Christians, we invert the importance all the time. We pray all the things that Paul never mentions. And we never pray the things that he does mention. Did you get that? Do you understand what I'm saying? If, I, if I'm wrong here, you can tell me. Paul shows us those things are secondary. The main purpose here is what's his purpose? Verse 19. That words may be given me. In opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the gospel, the mystery of the gospel. Verse 20, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. That's the priority. That's the purpose. What does Paul ask for here? What is he asking them to pray? God give me clarity. God give me confidence. As I declare the gospel. Now. I have friends that think being blunt and rude in evangelism is the same as being bold. It is not. Bold is being willing to kindly tell the truth. Even if you recognize that the truth may not be appreciated. But to kindly tell them. You must tell lost people what they need to hear not what they want to hear boldness means you go ahead and pull the trigger and do it but you still do it you still speak the truth in love sometimes we must pray God not only make me bold <laughs> but give me a good attitude does it help you to know this though does it help it helps me does it help you to know that the greatest preacher, the greatest missionary in Christian history asked for prayer in evangelism? In witnessing an evangelism, he asked, would you pray for me about this? Why would he ask them pray that I would declare it boldly as I ought? Do you know why? Because Paul wrestled with the same things that we do, the sin in us that causes us to be ashamed that causes us to not want to put ourselves out there because we don't want to be treated a certain way. We don't want to be looked at in a certain light. We don't want to be ostracized by people. We don't want them to think we're weird. And we're afraid that if we say something, it's going to hurt the relationship and all of those things. And so we have a million good reasons why that we should not tell somebody about Jesus lovingly but directly. But I'm going to give you one reason why you should do so. It's called hell. 
And Paul knew what was at stake. And he just said, pray for me that I won't fail. How many of you this morning in your Sunday school class, when your teacher said, do you have a prayer request? How many of you raised your hand and said, pray for me because I'm not being obedient in my witnessing. I know I'm supposed to tell this person about Jesus, but I've been too shy and too fearful. Would you all pray for me for boldness that I'll do it this week? Your teacher would have dropped over the heart attack. No, that's not what we do. You know, we pray about, you know, all the stuff, other things, you know, this, that, and the other. You know what I do in my class now? I don't even take prayer requests anymore. We're just going to pray about all the same thing over and over again. I just don't even do it anymore. Because, and so what what I'm just saying to our Sunday school classes this year, would you change that? You know, I gave you a little ugly piece of paper, you know, your friend list, your friends, your your relatives, associates, and your neighbors. But help build a prayer list, begin to pray for people that they would come to know Jesus. But also in that praying, pray for yourself. That you would declare it boldly as you ought to do it. Some people say, well, I, I don't really know how to share the gospel. You know why you don't know how to share the gospel? Because you have made sure that you don't find out how to share the gospel. You've made sure of it. Why do you do that? That way you can feel like you, you, you have an excuse. There's no excuse. There's not one. In our human weakness, we'll always shy away from it. Always. So we should pray, God, give us boldness. But why also should we pray? Because the conversion of a soul is what God does. We can't do it. We just tell and God saves. It's that simple. So so strategic prayer. Now look at the specific praying that he has here. Verses 21 and 22. So this is the, the, Paul is a, he, you know, he's a soldier of the cross here. And he's saying, this is how you pray. So there's strategic praying. And then there's some specifics in praying. And so look what he says in verse 21, 22. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So a couple of things. One, there has to be some information here. So he wants their intercession for him. He wants them to pray for him, of course. And so he's giving them information. So you need informed uh, for, for intercession if you're going to pray specifically. So that I may know, so that you may know how I'm doing and what I'm doing. And look what Paul says. He's going to tell them two things. How he's doing and what he's doing. Two things. How he's doing and what he's doing. Paul expected some prayer for his well-being. He said, I I want you to know how I am so that you will pray about that. So we do want to pray for each other about the things of life. What is going on in our lives? Let's do pray for each other. That's part of intercession. But he also says, and what I'm doing. I want you to know about the ministry. He said, what kind of ministry could this man have? Well, he's chained to a soldier right now. And the soldier thinks he has Paul captive. The soldier is captive. That's what's happening. And Paul is dictating these letters. And the soldier is required to sit there and listen to it. The first one to ever hear the book of Ephesians 
was not the church at Ephesus. It was a lost man, a Roman soldier. And so Paul was going to give them information on how it's going. Here's my ministry and this is how I'm doing what I can do where I am while I'm here. I'm doing what I'm going to do. This is his first imprisonment, by the way. And so we know he does get out eventually, but then they get him again and that's the end of the road in his second imprisonment. But this is where, where it is. And so he's going to give them the, the church there. He says, listen, I, I'm going to give you some things about how I'm doing and you can pray for me. But, but I want you to know what I'm doing. And then we're asking people to pray for us. We need to have both of those. Here's how I'm doing. You can pray for these, these things about me, about my person. But also this, here's a ministry I'm trying to do. Would you pray for me about that? Would you do that? And one of the sweetest things that you could ever hear is the voice of someone else praying for you. I, I do this weird thing to you guys sometimes. You got something going on in your life and I call you up. I pray for you over the phone. If I'm not in, there in person or whatever, I, I'll ask you, hey, can I pray for you over the phone? Sometimes you'll be like, hey, pastor, I'm driving. And I'm like, hey, you don't have to close your eyes. I will. Okay, just listen. I'm going I'm to pray for you. Okay, so... You, you know, sometimes you think, oh, that's a little bit weird, you know, whatever. But you need to hear me praying for those needs that you have. I do pray for you, but sometimes you need to hear it. And you need to hear it from other Christians as well. Can I pray for you about that? And not just say it, but pray for them right there on the spot. So pray, intercede for people. Now, he, he wants to also encourage them. And his praying here. He's saying, listen, I want to encourage you. And he, he sends Tychicus here in verse 22 that he may know, uh, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Isn't this something? Paul's in prison. He's living in not so good environment. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die. He, he, the food is horrible. Everything that you don't want to be going on in your life. It's going on in his life. And what does he say? I want to try to encourage you all. I want to try to encourage you free people. Talking about selfless. How you can encourage. You know people that are going through hard times. And they encourage other people. It means something doesn't it? And that's what Paul did. But, but look at this also. This other character. Tychicus. Now, we don't have many Bible studies about Tychicus, do we? As a matter of fact, uh, this may be the first time you ever even heard his name. He, he, he's nobody. He, he's just a Christian. He's nobody. But Paul said something about his character. He said that he's loved. You know what that means? There's something about this guy that the church in Ephesus knows that Tychicus loves them, the people. Not just in general, but personally. He loves them. And they love him back. And not only that, Paul loves this guy. And this guy loves Paul. And so he's called in um, verse number 22. He, he's called, uh, or verse 21, he, he's called uh, the beloved brother. W wouldn't you like to be that one that everybody just thinks the world of because of your character? That's Tychicus. And then faithful, faithful minister in the Lord. And you don't want to read too much into the word minister. It doesn't mean that he was a pastor somewhere. It just means that he served. He faithfully served the Lord. Now, Tychicus only has one small task to carry out. Paul just wants him to do one small thing. And that's this. 
carry the letters of Colossians and Ephesians to the churches. Small task. Do you see what's riding on the faithfulness of this one brother? You see, too many of us want to be Paul. And we want to be the great one, the one that writes the great letters. We want to be the one that wins the people to Christ. We want to be the one that people look up to and say, man, what a Christian. But you know the reality is? Most of us just need to be Tychicus. Love our church and be faithful to the Lord and just carry the letter. Just carry the letter. Just carry the message. Think about this. The first time that the church of Ephesus ever heard the letter to the Ephesians was by the voice of Tychicus, not Paul. Tychicus carries the letter. The pastor at the church says, do you have a word from Paul? And Tychicus says, yes, I have a letter from him right here. Everybody could gather around and Tychicus is going to read the letter. And so for the first time, this group hears these words. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Brothers, be filled with the Spirit. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Church, put on the whole armor of God. And so much more. Where did the church hear it? Not from Paul's mouth, but from Tychicus. All of this in the trembling hands of a man, relatively unknown in history. We know not where he's buried. We know nothing of his family. We don't know if he had any kids. We don't know where he worked. But we do know that he was beloved. And we know for sure he was faithful. Because we have those letters today. And I would just say to you as an individual Christian, you don't have to do great things for the Lord. Do the faithful things. Love your church. Be faithful in your ministry. And carry the message that's already been written. Do that. Do that. No one may ever know you. They may never know what you did. They may not remember your name. But be faithful and do those things. Be like Tychicus. That is what encourages the church. You see what Paul said that he may encourage your hearts? That's how he encouraged their hearts. He didn't encourage their hearts by saying, well, the prison's not as bad as you might have heard. Paul's doing just fine except for that chronic cough 
from the pneumonia that he has from being in that damp environment. I don't know what we're going to do about the sores on his wrist from the shackles that he's in. That, those weren't encouraging things. He encourages them with the word of God. That's what he does. Specific in our praying. We want to be informed for intercession. We want to know how people are, but what they're doing. And then we want to be informed for the purpose of encouragement, to encourage their hearts. Now, this prayer is also this. It's a, uh, the kind of praying we want to do. It's, it's sanctifying prayer as well. How, how do we pray for the, what, what, for the saints, for God's people? You know, Paul's been talking about praying for lost people, the unsaved world, that he'd be able to share the gospel as he ought to share it and be bold in it and so on. And so, but, but how do you actually pray for God's people? Well, he gives us an example of how to pray in a way that would cause people, to ask God to cause people to grow to be more like Jesus. And look what he says, verses 23 and 24. Here he gives us an example. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. The source, the source of blessings for our hearts. Look at the blessing. He wants peace to be with the brothers. This is talking about the relationship between God's people. He wants there to be peace. Not just outward peace. Peace, but peace in our hearts toward one another. And then love, that selflessness that we express toward each other. He wants that to be prominent. And then with faith, believing that God is the one who is going to reward us for those kinds of things. But notice this about these characteristics, peace and love and faith. None of those come from within a sinful human heart. All of those things, where they come from? From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why we know, this is another example that tells us and reminds us that people can only believe if God gives them faith. Why? Because faith comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To believe God enough to live at peace with one another and to believe Him enough to do selfless acts for one another without any expectation of anything in return. How do you live that kind of life? By faith. Believing that this is what God wants. Believing that He rewards those who obey Him in that way. And the only way to have that kind of confidence to do these kinds of things and to live this kind of life is to get it from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So how does Paul want God to bless them? He, he shows us, this is how I pray for you. Pray for one another in this way. Peace and love. And that God would give you the faith to have both of those with each other. Now, what are the subjects? The subjects that are blessed by God. The subjects with blessed hearts. Verse 24 tells us, Grace be with all, and here's the description, who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. See, he doesn't say grace be with everybody. Okay? There's a qualifier here. <clears throat> Those that experience the ongoing grace of God are those who love our Lord Jesus Christ 
with love incorruptible. What, what kind of grace? He's talking about enabling grace. The kind of grace that gets you through. The kind of grace that supports you. The kind of grace that builds you up. And say, the, the active working grace of God in our lives. How do we have that in our lives? Who are the people that get that? The only people that experience that are those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So we pray that God's grace be with you. That is God's kindness be actively at work to take care of everything that you need in your life. Who gets that? Those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Now, <clears throat> this word incorruptible, it, it, it can cause you to think, well, I have to have perfect love toward Jesus. Incorruptible love. But really the, the word refers more to something like Something that can't be corrupted and perish or fade away. <clears throat> so the, the idea here is, is something more like this. Some guy translated it this way. And I think this is close to what Paul is saying. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Which, with a love which once present can never perish. So he's talking about it can't be corrupted and, and then perish and be eaten up and fade away. So he's talking about permanent love. Not perfect love here, but permanent love. So here's the thing that we need to learn from this section of Scripture. A Christian is simply this. Someone who loves Jesus Christ with a love that won't ever go away. That's what's in the heart of a Christian. So we look at this section of the Bible. Versus the whole section. 18 through 24 here. What should we do with this? As, as a Christian. If you're a follower of Jesus. And you're, you're seriously devoted to Christ. What, what should you do with this section of scripture? I think each one of us should ask ourselves this shameful question. Which I probably already know the answer. Christian, are you truly prayerful? The, the kind of praying that, that you see talked about in this section of the Bible. Does this, is this section, does this look like you? I mean, could we put your name on this and say, this is how they pray. Like this. Now, we know everybody needs to improve and all that stuff. We're not talking about that. We're talking about off and on right now. We're just talking about turning the switch on. And, and so, does, is this, does this truly illustrate like who you are? Describe you as a Christian. I'm not just talking about do you say grace at the table. I'm not talking about do you just pray when your kids are sick. Or when your back is against the wall about something. What I mean is, as a Christian, do you have this kind of strategic, specific, sanctification oriented praying going on in your life is the gospel the priority in your praying and the growth of the saints the priority in your praying are those things the priority in prayer because that's what the scripture shows us should you pray give us this day our daily bread of course you have basic human needs. Everyone has those. Is it right to pray for someone's healing? Of course, everyone needs people to pray for them when they're sick. Of course, we need those things. 
But is it the priority? Paul was sick. Paul was in jail. Paul didn't feel well. Paul was hungry. Paul was lonely. But what was the priority? Somehow, God, make this thing turn out to benefit the gospel in some way. That's the part that we let drop. We get the human compassion. We have the same compassion for a sick person that a lost person has. I'm sorry that you're hurting. No one likes to be sick. I felt that way before and it's a bad feeling. A lost person would have exactly the same compassion. Exactly. No difference. Most of our prayer lists, lost, unsaved, non-Christian, pagan people could construct those lists and have the same level of sincerity that we have. But I tell you what, they're not going to be praying. They're not going to be praying for anybody to have boldness for the gospel. They're not going to be asking anyone, God, to help anyone to open their mouth and declare the gospel as they ought to. They're not going to be asking anybody to bring peace to the churches. They're not going to be asking God that He would have His grace upon them because they love the Lord Jesus. They're not praying those kinds of things. As a Christian, you're going to have to make your prayer unique from the rest of the world. And this is what Paul gives us here. He's not saying that we fail to do the other things that are just common, courteous, compassionate praying. Of course not. But he is saying those things are secondary. They're merely human. We must get our foot into heaven if we want to see the God of heaven do something on earth. But here's a second question. And this is a question to everybody. Do you love Jesus? I don't want to hear I was saved when I was... No. No, no. I'm asking you a different question. Do you love Jesus? I mean, do you love Jesus above all? And not only above all, instead of all that there is in this life. See, Jesus said... If anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself and deny his other loves and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now listen to what he said. Whoever tries to keep and gain his life in this world is going to lose it. But whoever turns loose of that life for me will find life. Do you love Jesus? Is there an affection in your heart for Christ that just won't go away? Some of you are walking around with a point in time in your head. I was at camp and I said the prayer. I was at judgment house and I said the prayer. I was at church one day and I said the prayer. I was in my bedroom and I said the prayer. And you've got this point in time in your head and you're walking around with that, but there is no love for Jesus in your heart. May I say to you, that's not Christianity. You said something out loud hoping that that would seal the deal. But I just want to say to you, that's not what's asked of you. 
What is demanded of you is simply this, this fact. Though we've never seen him, we love him. And though now we see him not, yet believing, we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. There is an affection for Jesus in your heart that just won't stop and that rules you over and over and over. Yes, as a Christian, you sin. Yes, you get off track. Yes, you fall away. Yes, you backslide. But the love of Jesus in you always brings you back. Is that you? See, here's the thing. I, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm feeling mighty free these days. we got 1,750 people or whatever it is now, you know, that's on our church roll. And they act like it's some kind of sin against God if we hadn't seen them in 15 years. that we say, hey, we're going to take you off a church roll. No, you, have, you have no right. No, I have every right. I have every right. What they don't understand is I have every right. But the, the problem is not church attendance. The problem is that what is missing is love for Jesus. That's what's missing. How do I know that? Because Jesus loves to be around his people. And if you love Jesus, you love what he loves. I was dating my wife, you know, and I mean, I'm still dating her, but I mean, before we were married. All y'all that ain't married yet, man, it's, it's, it's a cost now. So, uh, she had a taste in music. She liked, I'm going to tell on her, she'll kill me now, but she liked Journey, you know, this group. You know, Now, we were pagans, easy. So, pagans. And, uh, you know, Steve Perry and all that. I just was like, man, that's just candy rock. I don't, I don't know. And so, she was like, do you like them? I'm like, hmm. Well, uh, let me listen to it some more. The answer was really no, but um, listen to it some more. And um, so after a period of time, you know, you get another, you know, you start liking it. You know why I liked it? Because she likes it. And if she likes it, I'm going to like it. See, if you love somebody, you're going to like what they like. You can't say about Jesus, I love him, but I can't stand his people and don't want to be around them. That you can't, it's just, it's, it's a logical impossibility. So this is the question for you today and for me. Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? If you don't love him, you're not saved. His spirit can't be dwelling in you and you not love him. The spirit of Christ can't be in you and you be ambivalent about Jesus. It's an impossibility. It can't happen that way. How do you know if you love Jesus? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. See, what happens is, because of your affection for Jesus, then your life begins to change. If you're not interested in following his commands, guess what we figure out? You don't love Jesus. Why don't you love Jesus? Because you're not saved. So I'm not asking you for a time, place, and date. I'm asking this simple question. Do you love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love that just won't stop? That's what the Bible says. That's the mark of a Christian. If that's not in your heart today, here's the, here's the deal. 
you can come to Jesus. If he's stirring in your heart right now and saying, listen to you, listen, listen. I love you, I died for you. I died in your place for your sin. So that you won't have to go to an awful place called hell. And that you can have a relationship with the Father, God the Father through me by the working of the Spirit of God. All you got to do is just turn loose of your old life and follow me. Trust me. And you can come to him and love him. And he'll love you. That's as plain and simple as it is. This is about getting in love with Jesus. This is about start loving him. Rather than loving sin and loving Satan and loving sinful self, loving Jesus. It's that, it's that simple. If you've never started following Jesus, I'm going to want you to do that today. If you keep hanging on to your life in this life, you're going to lose it in the end. Give it away and gain Christ and you'll gain everything. I want to pray for us and then we're going to um, participate in the Lord's Supper. Then after the Lord's Supper, I want you to listen. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I don't want you participating in the Lord's Supper. But here's what I do want you to do. I want you to think about it. What are we doing here? What is this about? And what do you need to do with Christ today? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much that you have given us your word. Thank you for the book of Ephesians. Thank you for delivering it to us that we may be able to have it in our hands, be able to read it, and be able to follow it. I pray today, Father, that for those Christians here today that need peace, you'd work in their lives. The ones that need to experience love, that you'd send other Christians into their lives, that they may encourage them, love them, and help them. But Lord, I pray also for those here today that are interested in Jesus, but they don't love him. Lord, would you spark that in their life today, that they would see him as the greatest treasure ever, that the love of eternity can be theirs. And I pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.